So today I want to talk to you about promises. The Bible says that the promises, plural, of God are yes and amen. Promises. Everybody say promises. promises. So promises is plural. And there are a lot of promises that God has for our life. A ton of them. In fact, if I were to take time to talk about all the promises that God has for you, it would be a 10-week or year-long message, okay? So what I do is I talk about individual promises over the course of time. There's so many promises. Promises to become sons and daughters. Promises to be fully equipped to do all that God's called you to do. Promises to have a family and a future and a hope and life. In fact, the promises of God always tie directly to covenant. Everybody say covenant. Now, I'm not doing a teaching on covenant today, but if, but if you could understand how powerful covenant is, when God gave his word, he meant to keep it. And so the Bible says that God's word doesn't return back to him void, which means if he declared something over your life and he said it, he means to keep it. Now, we have a responsibility to say yes to it. There are a lot of if yous in the Bible, a lot of them. There are a lot of if use in the Bible. Make sure you heard that correctly. If use. And the premise of if use are is that God has a lot of promises for you. He's got a lot of things he wants to do. He wants to reward you. He wants to honor you. He wants to propel you. He wants to raise you up. But we have a responsibility to answer that call and say yes to it. Not everybody's saved and they just don't know it. I'm just telling you right now. Universalism is a lie. The Bible makes it clear that those that don't know the Lord or don't have the Holy Spirit are not his. And that's difficult. It doesn't mean people aren't created in the image and likeness of God. It doesn't mean that everybody doesn't have a component of God's DNA in them. But we have a responsibility to answer and say yes to become his children. Okay? The greatest promise of God is sons and daughters. He makes us one to make others one. We become so that we can make others sons and daughters. Anywhere you see promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the Old Testament, anywhere you see covenant in the Bible, it always includes territory and descendants. Your descendants will possess the gates of your enemies. And that's why our church is called Rock City. Because I believe that we're on a mission to transform this city, and we're going to do it by advancing the kingdom of God, seeing people get fired up, lit up, passionate, excited, and naturally and authentically advance the gospel because of who they are. Not weird religious Christians speaking Christianese, but because you've gotten so on fire, something's coming out of you now because of the, by virtue of the nature of who you are. That's why nature's so critical. Nature is so critical, meaning who are you? Because if you begin to discover who you are and who God has called you to be, then the power and the authority comes out of you to do something with it. It's a quality of something. It's a quality of who you are. And so, so many people are so focused on the quality or the aspect of what I'm going to do instead of focusing on who you are. Because if you can catch the who you are, what you do is going to be a lot easier. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. I'm telling you that. That's why at Rock City Church, one of our mottos is you aren't what you do, you do what you are. But the process of discovering who you are is so important. You've got to learn that and you've got to discover that. So there's a ton of promises in the Bible. But today I'm going to talk about one particular promise. And that is the Pentecost promise. The promise of Pentecost. And the reason why I'm going to talk about that today is because today happens to be 
Pentecost Sunday. And I love Pentecost. Pentecost, of probably all the feasts, this is one feast I get really fired up about, no pun intended. Or maybe there is a pun intended. I love to get fired up about Pentecost because of what Pentecost represents. And there's a lot of misconceptions and misunderstandings about Pentecost. Now, I can't do the entire teaching on, of it, on it in 30 minutes, but what I can do is get you excited about it. What I can do is remind you of the promise. And if there's one thing I wanna to accomplish today, if there's one thing you will learn from my message today, when you walk out, it's this, because there's more. Everybody say, because there's more. Now, I have you repeat so it can be a little interactive. And a lot of times when you say it, it gets inside of you. I want you to walk out of these doors to say, today and say, there is more. Because what happens so many times with lukewarm Christians or Christians that have been going to church their whole life, they've been there, done that, bought the T-shirt and the bumper sticker. They've heard the message over and over and over again. And we get this complacency that sets in. Or maybe you haven't been lit on fire by the baptism of the Holy Spirit or had a personal experience that ignited you and you've been saying to yourself, there's gotta be more. Because so much of what we're seeing in the Western American culture of church is lacking. And I'm not gonna rip and dog other churches. The point is something is missing to ignite a generation and to awaken people to the more that God has in store. The last thing I want you to do is be bored with church, bored with God, and find yourself complacent. And that's what happened to me. After I got born again, I had this thing that the Bible calls the joy of my salvation. And I was excited because now my sins had been forgiven, all my failures, all my junk from my past was wiped away, and that got me lit up. I mean, I was excited. When I got born again, I was actually happy. Can you believe that? Like, I was really happy. I mean, I was so excited because my life was a mess. It was a disaster. I was failing repeatedly. I was banging my head against the wall. I was in and out of jail. I was, wasn't satisfied with any of the things that I was doing in serving myself and chasing after the world. So I got born again. I had the joy of my salvation. But something happened after about probably two months or so I found myself on a plateau, a spiritual plateau. And this spiritual plateau made me feel stuck. It made me feel like I couldn't go up and I couldn't go down. I didn't know where to go. And I, I had this excited joy, but now I felt like, man, where did it go? It's kind of like the honeymoon in a marriage, right? Where the honeymoon experience seemed to wear off. Really great when we were in Antigua, you know, listening to reggae music, scuba diving, going on catamarans, I mean, that was a lot of fun. Driving around the island, eating fresh seafood, but that only lasted about a week for us. And the honeymoon experience in a marriage can wear off. Now, love should be growing every day because you have to cultivate it, right? Love is something that you have to work at. Love first is an action that produces a feeling. But the honeymoon thing, man, <laughs> that was awesome, but that lasted only a short time. And so with the Lord, the joy of your salvation is awesome and it propels you, but God has more. And if you find yourself getting stuck spiritually, where you feel like you're on a spiritual plateau, you're complacent, here's the telltale signs. You're not as excited to read your Bible anymore. You don't spend a lot of time in the secret place. The fire and the excitement and the passion isn't there like it once was. 
And you find yourself saying, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And God, where are you? You ever felt that way? Well, I sure felt that way. And so I said, man, Lord, I said, there's gotta be more. And I started reading in my Bible some scriptures. And I'm not gonna go through them all today, but I started reading about this thing in Matthew 3.11, where John's baptizing in the Jordan River. And he says, one who comes after me is greater than I am, whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie, and he will baptize you in the Holy Ghost and fire. And I said, wait a minute, fire? Because see, when I was in the Grateful Dead, I wore fire red tie-dyes. I wore fire red wrestling shoes. I loved to twirl fire and glow sticks at raves and concerts. I I wasn't a pyro, like a weird pyro guy, but I liked color and excitement and red and yellow and fire. That was just kind of my thing. So here I am, I read the scriptures like, wait a minute, fire? And then I start studying the scriptures a little bit more and I read a book from a guy, a real legend in the faith by the name of Kenneth Hagin about being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I said, okay, there's gotta be more. And sure enough, I got baptized in the Holy Ghost and I found myself experiencing the more. I got lit up and ignited and set on fire. So we're gonna talk about that today. And again, it's gonna be short, but when you walk out, I want you to know that there's more for your life. And my hope and my prayer is that you'll keep coming back to experience it and not just be a once or twice a month Sunday Christian. And I'm not checking the list twice. I don't know anymore who's coming all the time and not. And the last thing I ever wanna do is put pressure on you people work, they go out of town. I get it. I want you to be here because you want to be here. But what I want more than anything is that you live an on fire, radical Christian life and not go through the motions of Christianity because there's too many people giving Christianity a bad name by just going through the motions of it. The Lord never called us to be suburbia, super simple life, put up our white picket fence, have our nice dog Christians. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't have those things. We love our home, we love our dogs, and we love being Christians and our kids, and we, we love the simplicity of life, but, but life is so much more than being isolated unto ourselves. The point I'm trying to make to you is that God has a purpose and a plan, and he wants so much more from you, but in order for you to do more, you have to have more. If you want to accomplish, if you're finding yourself saying, I don't know what to do, I feel stuck, I don't know what God wants, this message is for you, all right? And so we're gonna talk about the promise of Pentecost. First, let me tell you about the word promise. The word promise has several different meanings to it, all right? There's a biblical definition of promise in the Greek and the Hebrew, and there's also a promise in Webster's Dictionary. So let me tell you what they mean. In the biblical definition of of promise, it means that God makes an announcement that he means to fulfill and furnish you with something. So it's an announcement or a declaration that says, I wanna give you something and I mean to do it. I'm making a promise to you and a commitment and I'm gonna keep my word to give you something that you desperately need. I'm gonna furnish you. Furnish you meaning he's gonna equip you and give you everything that you need, okay? The Webster's definition is similar to that. It says a declaration or an assurance that something is gonna happen. It's a declaration or an assurance. I can assure you, I promise you, this is gonna happen and it's gonna give you something. Here's another definition of promise. Another definition of promise is that you become something and you have promise within you. 
So it's kind of like me saying, Doug, I promise you that in 10 days from now, I'm gonna meet you and give you this and equip you with this and the things that you need. It's gonna come, I promise you, just be patient. The other way to say it is, Doug, I see so much promise in you. You are full of promise. We say that a lot at Rock City Church because we're always encouraging and loving. Spend a few minutes with me, tell me you're struggling, and I'm gonna look at you and say, man, you have no idea how the Lord sees you. You are so full of promise. It's a common statement at Rock City. To be, full of, to be a promise means that by your nature and virtue, you have a skill that comes out of you. So you are a promise, but you also have promise in you to do something. Do you got that? Okay. We gotta define promise if we're gonna understand the Pentecost promise. We've got to. After Jesus resurrected, he walked the earth for 40 days. Now he ascended in a flash to pay the sacrifice that needed to be paid and then he came right back to earth. That's why he told Mary, don't touch me. Because he had just ascended, he had, he had just risen from the dead. He had to go and make the final sacrifice in heaven for the atonement of sins. And he had to fulfill even the Old Testament commands so that he wouldn't be defiled in that moment. But once he paid the price, he broke so many of man's religious laws from healing lepers to touching coffins to healing the sick on the Sabbath. Jesus broke so many man-made policies, but there was one that he had to fulfill. So he ascends in a flash, comes back, and for 40 days, he walks the earth. And that 40 days, he was strengthening the church. You know why? Because when he resurrected, he didn't come back to party time. He didn't come back to the disciples shouting on the rooftops. He didn't come back to all the disciples being so excited that he was crucified and waiting for the promise. The disciples weren't camped out at the tomb just expectant. Here's the second day late at night. And we know that once that sun cracks and the third day comes, boy, Jesus is gonna resurrect. We just know it, so we're gonna camp out of the tomb. No, they were hiding out, depressed, afraid, worried, and unbelieving, the Bible says. So Jesus would resurrect and even then they would doubt what some of the people saw. So for 40 days, he would strengthen the church, okay? But on the 40th day, everybody say the 40th day. 40. 40 is a profound number. I don't have time to go into it today. But on the 40th day, Jesus got, finally gets with the disciples, gathers them up at the garden on the Mount of Olives, gathers them up, and he says this at Luke 24, 49. I know the scripture really well because it's one of my favorite in the Bible. He says this, I'm gonna send the promise, capital P, of my father upon you. Wait or tarry in the city of Jerusalem until what? You're endued with power from on high. Just keep that scripture up there because we're gonna break some of this down. Let me give you the context again of this scripture. The disciples were already believers and called disciples. Make sure we all know that, okay? They were already believers. They'd been walking with them for three years. They'd seen and experienced the supernatural and they even served the bread to the 5,000 and Jesus empowered them to do the work of the ministry. But Jesus is saying, look, you need more. I know you believe in me. I'm paraphrasing it for you. He's saying, look, I have to go, if you go and read John 16, I'd encourage all of you to read John 16. Because in John 16, it says the disciples were like sad, full of sorrow that Jesus was gonna go. 
And so Jesus said in John 16, listen, you don't understand. It's expedient that I go because if I don't go, you're not gonna get the promise of the Father, the Comforter, the Helper, your spirit guide. And in fact, if you read John 16, it says that the Holy Spirit will guide you. It used those exact words. So the next time you run into a new ager that has a spirit guide, you say, I have a spirit guide too. And smile real big. <laughs> Trust me, I've done this a hundred times. It's so fun. It's so fun. They're like, you have a spirit guide? I'm like, yeah. His name's the Holy Spirit. And I say it with, uh. I'm like, uh, in your face. Right? So have fun with that. The Holy Spirit has a lot of things that he does in your life. And I'm, I'm, I, we talk about that over the course of time. He's a comforter, he's a guider, he's a helper, he shows you all truth. There's just so many things, right? But we're gonna talk about just a few of those things, mostly in the context of enduing you with power and what that means and why every person in this room needs this. If you wanna break lackluster Christianity, if you wanna overcome sin and temptation, if you need to be ignited with the fire of God in your heart and your life, you need this. I'm just telling you, and when you walk out, what I want you to say is, I need that. There's more. There is more, okay? So Jesus walked the earth for 40 days, and in 10 days from when Jesus said this Pentecost would be happening, well, I'll tell you a little bit of what Pentecost was, but in 10 days from this time of Jesus saying this, Pentecost would happen. The Lord showed me this morning in my prayer time for church that there's a promise to come for so many of you. And if you get impatient and don't understand that God has a perfect time and a perfect plan for you, you'll thwart the process by throwing in the towel or giving up because chances are highly likely the disciples were not thinking to themselves what he really meant was gonna happen in 10 days. He's gonna leave them again. He's gonna ascend and he said, hey, go wait. He didn't say, now go wait because in 10 days the Feast of Pentecost is coming. He didn't say that. What he said was just go wait, be patient. You've gotta learn what it means to sit with the Lord, trust him and be patient. Some of you have come here, started giving your life, you gave your life to the Lord, kind of standing on the outside a little bit, aren't really sure to go all in. And you've gotta learn what it means to trust him, be patient, spend time with him, read your Bible, get in the secret place. This is what every Christian should be doing. You can't just ride on my coattails. I'll give you some fresh wind and some fresh fire for the moment, but if you want it full time, you gotta get it for yourself. So the disciples would need more than what they currently had spiritually. When you become a Christian, let me explain to you what happens. You get clothed in righteousness, you get clothed in salvation, you get washed in the blood of Jesus, and you get transformed instantly to become a new creation, okay? Now, salvation is a was, is, and will be. Salvation is I was saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved. It's an ongoing process. You don't give your life to the Lord and bam, I suddenly arrived. Take it from me, having walked out this for 25 years. It's a long process of God refining, teaching, learning, growing, even with lots of failures and mistakes in the midst of it. That's why at Rock City, we're super patient and loving in the midst of the process. Doesn't mean I don't talk about sin and why you need to become righteous and what that happens and how the Holy Spirit does it. But we're extremely patient with you in that process because it took me a long time to get, I was just a little more hard-headed than most, I think. 
Some of you are like, I'm way more hard-headed. Trust me, you don't know what I went through to get here. A lot of failures and mistakes, okay? And so, though you get clothed, though you get arrayed in salvation with new garments that Christ puts on you, there is still more that God has in store for your life. So there's three words I wanna bring out from this scripture. The first word that we wanna focus on is the word endu. Everybody say endu. Now the word endu means to soak into a clothing or a garment. It means to be arrayed, okay? It's kinda like a bride getting ready, putting her dress on. She knows she's ready, but she still gets arrayed with the crown with the makeup, with the flowers, bouquet of flowers. It's being furnished with more than just the basics. It's that God puts more into you. So it means to soak into, be arrayed. It means to go into or enter or to be plunged into. The Bible has a concept for being plunged into. And the biblical understanding in the Greek, especially in the New Testament of being plunged into is the understanding of the sunset especially if you go to Key West. We get some good sunsets here. Key West is famous for their sunsets. If you've ever watched the sunset where it's on a clear night and the sun, all of us have, the sun just touches the edge of the earth and within 90 seconds, you know it takes 90 seconds from the time that the sun touches the edge of the earth when you're watching it. I mean, we know what's happening. The earth is revolving around the sun. But the point is, is it looks like it touches the edge of the earth. Count next time, 90 seconds and that sun will be gone. You can literally watch it just keep sinking from the time it hits the edge of the earth. And the mindset is that the sun is plunging into the earth. Now it's not, but that's what it looks like. And that's what I wanna give you the understanding of when it comes to being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's like the Holy Spirit himself arraying you and plunging into your life. Here's another good example. Marinade, steak marinade or fajita marinade in South Texas. What happens when you take plain steak or plain fajita and soak it in teriyaki marinade overnight? What happens? You're good, right? Especially when you get good fresh meat from the meat market. The, the point is, is that the steak now takes on the flavor of the marinade. It's still steak. It still has great qualities and attributes if you buy good steak or fajita meat. But then by the next day, the soaking into the meat now takes on the flavor of the marinade, that's the idea and the mindset of being endued. It soaks into you and arrays you and gives you more. What does it give you more of? Everybody say power. power. You know, one of the things I ask myself a lot about the local church and Christianity is where's the power? To heal, cast out devils, lay hands on the sick, pray in other tongues. All these things I read about in the Bible and in Luke chapter nine, Jesus dispatched the 12. In Luke chapter 10, he dispatched the 72. They healed people of diseases. They cast out devils. They were just rocked by what they were able to accomplish. And I asked myself a lot, where's the power? It's kind of like the old Wendy's commercial, where's the beef? <laughs> you got a bum, but you got no Holy Ghost meat. I'm saying to myself, where? my wife doesn't remember. She's like, I don't remember that commercial. How do you not know where's the beef? It was, uh, you don't know. And so the point I'm trying to make is where's the power? Who's got the power? There's a song. Who's, I've got the power. I have it ready for next service. That'll, 
do that. Yes, yes. Now listen to what the word power, the word for power in the Greek is the word dunamis. Many of you have heard it. It's where we get the word dynamite and it means explosive power. I mean, explosive lean-in power, not lukewarm, half-hearted maybes, and I hope so. I'm talking about miraculous power. It's where we get the word dynamite, and it means it's blow-you-up type power. Power to perform miracles and signs and wonders. Listen to this. I got this from the Blue Letter Bible, and I loved it. Power residing in a thing by virtue of its nature and the resulting quality that comes out. And then I wrote this, our nature brings confidence and authority, which in turn results in power to miraculously accomplish what the Father intends. So you become something because you have something. And now because of what I have, I have become, and now I can confidently, boldly, not arrogantly, not pridefully, not out of haughtiness, but out of confidence say, I fully believe because of the promise in me, you can be healed. And even if I don't see it a thousand times, I'll keep praying. Because even Bethel in California, Bill Johnson said, we must have prayed for a thousand people before we saw our first healing. And then bam, it just opened up. Because God's just not gonna half-heartedly dish out his gifts to those that aren't prepared and ready to sustain it because pride will come in. Pride will come in. And so God wants to give us force. Everybody say force. Force. Say strength. strength. Say ability. And so he wants to plunge himself into your life. The sun wants to set into your heart and he wants to equip you supernaturally. Now let's go back to the promise. Remember what a promise is. You gotta always remember a promise. A promise is an announcement or a declaration that something is gonna happen in the future which will fully equip and furnish you with what you need. It's an, I declare it. I'm making a declaration. If anybody here wants more, God has it in store for you. If anybody here needs more fire, God wants you to be more on fire. He's got a promise for you. If anybody here is is desirous to overcome sin and struggles and challenges and be lit up and let God's fire burn it out and ignite you, God has it in store for you, but you gotta want it. You've gotta want it. So Jesus called the promise what? Let's bring the scripture back up. What did he call the promise? He called the promise of his father. This promise is called the promise of his father. So it's the father's promise. Let's say the father's promise. The father's father's a good, good dad. And the good, good dad, our good, good dad has a good, good promise for you. And the promise is more of himself in your life. The promise is his spirit, three in one, coming into you to equip you, train you, empower you, and get you to do all that God's called you to do, right? And so to understand the promise of the father, we have to go back anywhere from 350 BC to to possibly 830 BC. If you read commentaries, there's a lot of uncertainty about when the book of Joel was actually written. Some say 350 BC and it goes all the way back to 830 BC, which means 350 to 830 years prior to Jesus actually coming. In the book of Joel, the prophet Joel makes a promise or a declaration or an announcement that he's gonna furnish us. Hundreds of years in advance, he makes a promise and an announcement to furnish us. And it comes from Joel chapter two, verse 28 and 29. Let's read it. Now, if you could understand the context of the book of Joel, 
This scripture is really powerful. Israel was a mess. Harlotry, idolatry, prostitution. It resulted in the worst plague of locusts ever seen in mankind. The, the earth was a drought. Israel was a drought. All their vegetation was eaten up, their homes, everything by millions and millions of locusts in a plague, okay? I'm telling you that prostitution, alcoholism, the, the Israel was in so much dysfunction that God, and this is a repetitive pattern in the Old Testament, that God would use natural circumstances to get the nation to repent. And so then God says to the ministers, weep, wail, rend your garments, not, or rend your heart, not your garments. Blow the, here's God's answer, blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm to wake people up. It's time to wake up. So he says, blow the trumpet, why? Sound the alarm, why? It's all in the book of Joel. It's only three chapters long, read it tonight. It's a great book. Okay, read the introduction and the footnotes. Get a good study Bible. So he says, sound the alarm and blow the trumpet. Rend your heart and not your garments. Let the ministers weep between the porch and the altar. And now I'm crying and weeping because of the lost and the hurting and the death and destruction. And Jesus gave a similar analogy when he talked about what will I liken this generation to? They're playing the flute in the marketplace and no one's dancing for a wedding. And they're playing a funeral song and no one's weeping and mourning because we're so consumed with ourselves, And so in the midst, he says, priests cry out, ministers gather the assembly, the children, the faith, get them into the house of God and let's have a prayer meeting. Blow the trumpet, sound the alarm and let's cry out to God. This is Joel, I'm summarizing it for you, okay? And so what happens? He gives a promise. And in this promise, it's the outpouring of his spirit. It's the outpouring of God's power, his love, and let's read it. It'll come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. Next verse. And all my men's, men servants and all my maid servants shall pour out my spirit in those days. So God wants to pour his spirit out. Look at verse 32. And anybody who cries out to the Lord will be saved. So God wants to pour out his spirit. He wants to give you power. What is the resulting action of God pouring out his spirit? Anyone who cries out will be saved. Go back to verse 28. He's gonna pour them out, verse 28. And what will they do? They'll dream again, prophesy, and see visions. Why is that important? God wants a generation to be his mouthpiece. And he wants a supernatural people that dream, that have visions, that equip them, empower them to do the supernatural works of God. And then it would be on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two. We're not gonna go through it right now because of time, but in Acts chapter two, God pours out his spirit in verse one on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost means 50. This is the 50th day since Passover. And Pentecost was the day of first fruits, a feast, one of three major feasts in Jerusalem. You had the feast of Passover, the feast of Pentecost, and the feast of tabernacles. And on the feast of Pentecost, what everybody would do is bring their first fruits of their harvest to the temple, to God, the very best of their harvest in advance with an expectancy of having an incredible harvest. Now look at what the Holy Spirit does. Jesus on the cross was a first fruit. The Holy Spirit was a first fruit. Those disciples that got it in, in Jerusalem would become a first fruit to what? The nations of the world. And the result would be global evangelism all over the world with supernatural empowerment which is Acts 1.8.
You'll receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you, dynamite power, and you will be my witnesses all over the world. Now your witnessing becomes spirit-led, effective, full of power, full of prophecy, dreams, visions, signs, wonders, and the miraculous is now coming out of you. It's supernatural. And we've heard about Pentecostal churches. The most Pentecostal churches that have the name Pentecostal are very old school. We've, a lot of people have experienced a lot of dysfunction. Girls have to have their hair in a bun, dresses down to your knees, no makeup, no jewelry. I mean, all kinds of things. And they call themselves a Pentecostal church. Churches take on labels of what they wanna be and build around. We have word of faith movements, Pentecostal movements, charismatic churches. God wants a holistic church, everybody. You don't build a, a whole church just off the outpouring of the Holy Spirit because you first have to have sonship and identity and know what it means to be adopted and get into healthy relationships and function. But you need the power too. You have been listening to a message from David Bindet, senior pastor of Rock City Church in beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. David's prayer is for a deeper understanding of God's love and purpose for your life and that all of us would grow into a greater awareness of our identity in Christ. Thank you for listening. And until next time, stay fired up.